This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 110 with Hillary Hendershot. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 110. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Hillary Hendershot has an impressive resume as a financial planner. She owns Hillary Hendershot Wealth Management and is the host of the podcast Boss Profit Radio. She's also a TEDx speaker and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, NBC, ABC, Fox, Forbes, and various other media outlets. She has made over 30 expert television appearances, and she's been recognized as a top 40 under 40 entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. But I think what you're going to love most about Hillary is that she is very real when it comes to women and money. And part of the reason she can be real, real about it is because she comes with her own story of loss and struggle with money and her own rock bottom moment, which she will share on today's episode. So I think that you'll find that Hillary's really personable. We don't always think people who deal with money all day are going to be the most personable kind of people. But Hillary is really relatable and personable and fun and just has a great sense of groundedness and personality. In addition to being really smart about money and great at talking with women about money, which is a little different. And we talk a little bit about the differences um, between men and women and how men might approach money conversations a little differently than women do. And what that might feel like for you if you're looking to work with someone and talk to someone about how you relate to money and how you spend money and save money. So I think you're really going to like what Hillary has to say. So let's go ahead and just review quickly what we're going to be talking about today. 
today. Hillary is going to share what it's like to be a female in a male-driven industry. She's going to share six quick and easy daily steps that you can take to simplify your finances. She's going to share how to stop hiding from debt and some very specific steps to help you start getting out of debt. She also will share ways you can take the fear out of money and how much you should really have in your savings and why it should not all be in cash. This was eye-opening for me. And she's going to share how to be more shameless with your money. So this was a fun conversation. I know I didn't think talking about money could be that fun, but it really was. So this is going to be a treat for you. Let's go ahead and dive in with Hillary Hendershot. Hillary Hendershot, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you. I can't wait. This will be fun. So as I mentioned in our pre-interview, I was just at a mastermind meeting last week and we were talking about money and it was one of the big topics of the weekend. So I'm excited to talk with you about money because I know that's one of your big specialties. So before we yeah. dive into that, tell us a little bit beyond your bio. Who do you primarily work with? What do you love about your work and those kinds of things? Yeah. So mostly I'm a financial advisor who specializes in working with women and there's like a background to that. Okay. So when I got my start in the field of financial planning, my father brought me into the business. So my dad is literally an old white man. And so most of his <laughs> colleagues were old white men. And most of the people <laughs> I saw around me were old white men. Literally, if you're a financial advisor and you go to financial advisor events and conferences, I think outside of engineering events, it's one of the only kinds of events where the line for the men's bathroom is longer than the line for the oh women's. <laughs> and the kind of like verbal assaults that I suffered in these places from people commenting, literally commenting on the shape of my body, asking me if my father let me talk to clients, asking, wow. who do you do marketing for? Like literally, who do you do oh marketing for? Oh my gosh. Uh, my own company. <laughs> and I just felt I really let that instead of being defiant, shameless, as it were, I let it impact my confidence. And I couldn't at the time see how I could build a business or like who would want to work with me when clearly financial advisors are supposed to be old white men. And one day I had this thought that came into my brain. No, I don't have this happen very often, but it happened to me on this day. And I just thought in the same way, I would much rather go see a female doctor. I just would. I mean, I don't want to get naked in front of a male doctor. I just don't. And so I always look for females. And this thought came to me, I bet there are women out there who want to work with a woman. And it was like, oh, my goodness. So I'm not the financial advisor for everybody, but I am the financial advisor for some. And that's all I need, you know. And so I got inspired to start working with women. And then as soon as I did, it was like a snowball rolling downhill. I got involved in the community community of women working with women and empowering women. And it's like, now it's like my calling. So I love to do the work that I do. I, I really do have a head for numbers. So it's fulfilling that I get to use this technical ability and skill to really help people. I mean, and we'll get into this probably later in the interview, but you know, I'm just really bringing value to people. I mean, to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars in like taxes they don't have to pay just because of conversations they had with me where I can point them in a different direction than they were heading. So and great. 
<laughs> and then, you know, I also rewind back to that place where I got my start in the field of financial planning. It also turns out that I had some really destructive money habits. So here I am, a certified financial planner, literally, who works with millionaires during the day building investment portfolios because I understand the stock market. And then I go home to a stack of bills that I won't open because I can't pay them. Oh, my gosh. And yeah, literally. And I had this bottom of the barrel moment. I pulled my convertible BMW, my three series BMW, gorgeous car, not owned by me, owned by the credit union. I just leased it back from them into the gas station to get gas, put my credit card in the machine and got declined. Put my other credit card in the machine and got declined. At that point, I had maxed out my credit cards, emptied my bank accounts, and my retirement accounts because I had one of those mortgages that went up every month. Um, I had what was called a NAGAM mortgage, right? And it was the middle of the financial crisis. So my income was down, my mortgage was up and I was devastated. I was so embarrassed. Like no way could I admit that I was failing financially. So I was robbing Peter to pay Paul literally. And it all came to a head at this gas station. (laughs) I could not get gas. We had to do the walk of shame home. Oh my gosh, you had to leave your car there? Yeah, like it was on empty. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I talked to myself and I said, I mean, after you get over the devastation of the moment, I said, well, I have my whole life ahead of me. This is not the end for me. This is not how it's going to go. And I'm not going to spend my life at financial rock bottom. And so I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I read everything I could get my hands on, on money psychology and neuropsychology and behavioral finance. And I really became an expert. And as I was going through this process of kind of coaching myself, I said to myself, if I can figure this out, like what's the core of the problem here? I bet there were a lot of people I can give it away to. So I did that over the next several years. I paid off the debt. I rebuilt the savings. Now I've built a seven-figure business, really, so a seven-figure net worth. And I'm engaged in the process of really giving that away. And so I teach a lot about personal finance basics, but it all comes down to the psychology of money, your core, core beliefs about money. And I know we're going to talk about that more, but that really is the backbone of what I discovered. We all have this belief, this strongly held belief or superstition about money that fundamentally is not true. There's nothing true about money. We made it up. It's only conceptual. It doesn't exist. You can't touch it. Nothing. It's completely made up. But we live like there are a bunch of things that are true about money. And in the case of some people, it really hurts us. So I'm like a financial advisor with heart. I always say I'm a judgment-free zone because wherever you're at, I've been there. I've been poor. I've been rich. (laughs) And I don't relate to people who are overspenders like they're irresponsible. I relate to them like they're limited by their programming. So I love what I do. big mission for me. I love just sharing your story of kind of your rock bottom, because I think it's extremely common for people to have huge vulnerabilities in the industry that they work in. So I come from working in a psychiatric environment um, prior to being in the fitness industry. And in the psychiatric environment, I can't tell you how many of my coworkers at the psychiatric hospital were actually on antidepressants and mood stabilizers and all these psychological medications. And then like, and I didn't realize how common it was until I started having conversations with people. And the only reason I wasn't on an antidepressant at that time was because I was running all the time. And so that was like my mood stabilizer that I would just go running where everyone else was, I think, popping pills. And that's kind of always been my drug of choice has just been exercise. So then I moved into the fitness industry and come to find out everyone who works in the fitness industry at some point in their life has had like major body image issues. And so you're not the first person I've talked to in the financial industry that's had a situation very similar to what you described happening to you. 
And I think that when we approach people in these industries, we have to consider that that's where they're coming from and not feel any shame in our game. Because like, if I go to a financial planner, it's safe to assume that I'm talking to someone who's at some point had an issue with money. And that's probably why they're really passionate about helping other people. Just like as a personal trainer, I've had issues with body image. And that's why I'm really passionate about helping other women. So I love that you have that story and that you share it because I think that it adds so much value to your career when you understand the pain. Yeah, I'm certainly if you can hear those hints or that theme in that professional's bio or story, I think, you know, that they not only talk the talk, but they walk the walk. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you really want to empower women in financial situations, as you've said, and you have six daily steps you recommend to simplify in finances. Can you walk us through those steps? And maybe I don't know if you want to back up because I'd also like to touch on if you have specific steps that you use to get out of debt that you recommend to other people. So that's probably separate. If you want to break those into two different things, we could do that. Yeah, let's break those into two different things. And let's just get really practical for people because I'm going to give you some actionable tips, stuff that you can actually do today. Okay. So the first thing is really most people are inundated with paper, messages, action items. And I'm just speaking about your financial life. So you have credit card bills. Where do those show up? They're either in a portal or in your mailbox. Your bank account transactions, those are important too, but those are in a different place. Then you have your retirement accounts, You know your bank accounts. What about your mortgage and your insurance? So the thing is to not let it be overwhelming and just to create systems to really be the master of the paper. <laughs> I call those things things. Mm-hmm. So everything, like every piece of mail in my my mailbox is a thing. Every email in my inbox is a thing. And you get things in a finite list of places. So we got to master those places. First, definitely request e-statements everywhere, every financial vendor you can. So I don't have my brokerage account statements, my retirement account statements don't come to my house in paper form. Those are online. That way there's nothing for me to get overwhelmed with, no stacks of paper in my office. I'm completely paperless. And then when bills come, so there's two philosophies, but I like to pay all my bills immediately. When I open the mail, I just go to the bank portal and pay it. And that really has it be handled. Another philosophy is create a folder and pay all your bills on the 1st and the 15th or the 2nd and the 16th right after you get paid. Okay. But you want to have a system to pay those bills. Do not just open your credit card statement and put it aside. Like <laughs> that's the crime. <laughs> right. So this and pretend it doesn't exist. Make- Uh, Or like mostly it's like a psychic leech because you know it's there. You know it. And you think about it during the day and it bothers you at night and you tell yourself that you're not taking care of it. But really it's renting space in your brain. Totally. (laughs) And so I like to have as much free space in my brain as I can get. Definitely have a paperless system. At this point, everyone should be paperless. I used to store receipts in Evernote. I would just take a picture either with my camera on my iPhone or there's this little app called Scanner Pro app that's like $2 and it automatically uploads to Evernote. I used to store receipts in Evernote and that's totally fine if you do that. I now have this philosophy that paperwork that's not going to be edited, so documents that aren't in process should go in. I use Box, but you can also use Dropbox simply because the folder and retrieval system there is so easy now. So I just use either Evernote or Dropbox and store stuff immediately. If you're a business owner, you're out to lunch, the bill comes, you pay it. That is 50% deductible. Meals and entertainment are 50% deductible. So I just snap a little picture of it, create a tag that says like, 
shameless mom podcast. That's my client and the date of the transaction. And it automatically, I have it configured in my phone to automatically go to the folder I want it to in box. And that way I never pick up that receipt. I'm totally paperless. Okay. Third step, open your snail mail at least every other day. Don't let the mailbox fill up. It's 80% junk mail anyway, but you want to be responsive to these places where the things land. Remember, I call these things things. Because <laughs> there's going to be financial stuff in there. And right. you have to know when relevant messages come to you. You don't want to let, for example, credit card applications sit in your mailbox because someone can take that and fill it out on your behalf. And that's, you know, credit fraud. Fourth, and I can't really overstate the importance of this step. It sounds so simple, but many of you won't do it and therefore won't get the benefit of it. But if you do, you'll realize you have to view your bank account transactions every single day. I log in every morning. It allows me to say, yeah, first of all, I avoid the problem where I look at it 30 days later. I don't remember the transaction amount or the vendor. And then I'm freaking out. Like, what was that $250 transaction? Right. What does, rah, 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 which is often the <laughs> name the of the time. vendor that shows yeah. up. Like, what is that? So the weirdest names. Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> like, I don't even know how that's legal. Frankly, if I was going to go to a Congress meeting, that would be on my agenda. Like, how is it that vendors can have names that right. make no sense on my bank account? But if I view my transactions every day, I remember the transaction. And it's like, okay, I have peace of mind about it. But I've found fraud a couple times, double transactions. Sometimes you go to a restaurant and they either by accident or on purpose, I don't know, run their credit card twice. Mm -hmm. Well, you get that handled right away, right? Right. So no drama. I definitely have a no financial drama rule in my (laughs) life. And so following these steps is critical to having there be no drama. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toes all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is 
around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. I use, so now I'm on the fifth step, I use a multiple bank account system to automate my finances. I have money come into one account and then I, through pre-designated decision rules, that money gets divided up and separated into multiple accounts. Some are spending accounts and some are savings accounts. And those spending accounts are divided up into two things. So some people teach category budgeting and I frankly think I hate budgets and I love numbers. I think budgets are brutal to follow. And the thing about a budget is if you don't categorize a transaction, your entire thing is off. Mm -hmm. And so then receipts start to mount up and they just become, again, another psychic leech. So Mm -hmm. instead of that, I categorize spending based on when I make the decision to spend. And this is in your personal finances not business. Business is different. But I categorize things based on bills, recurring bills. I call those yesterday's promises, rent, insurance, gym memberships, anything I promised to pay before today. Then anything I make the decision to spend on today, such as gas, food, clothing, gifts, restaurants like that, that's in my today's fun account. And if you don't have the experience of fun in your life, by the way, that (laughs) means your yesterday's promises number is too damn big. Oh, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it becomes really clear when you look at your spending in this way where your allocations have been way too big to make you happy. And then you get to customize the system to make you happy. And the sixth and final step is know your net worth. Just simply add up the value of your bank accounts, savings, real estate owned. I don't put cars in there. Why? You're not going to sell a car for cash and live on it. No, you're not. You're going to drive it and then you're going to buy another car. So I don't add up the things like jewelry and cars that you're in all likelihood not going to sell. But know your assets minus your liabilities. Those are simply your debts, mortgages, credit card debts like that. And that number is the number that it's your job to grow over time. So you got to track it, right? You can't track it or grow it if you don't know what it is. So that's it. Six steps. It doesn't take that much time. (laughs) So you made some really good points that I want to touch on that I think are really common among moms. And I'm going to say this because these are some things that I have done. When my son was born, I decided that I was just not going to open mail because I had just had a baby and the world didn't deserve a piece of me because I only had enough to go to my child at that time. And so I stopped opening mail for like six months. And like every once in a while, I would see something like my husband would bring the mail in. Like I literally didn't even pull mail out of the mailbox that entire time, but he would pull in stacks of things and set them on the counter. And every once in a while, if I would see something on the very top that looked billish, I'd be like, oh, okay, I'll take that and like I'll address it. 
because there was, was a couple like medical bills and stuff from having a baby. But other than that, like nothing got opened. And so it, finally, at some point when he was like almost six months old, I was like, oh my God, I have to tackle this pile. And I start going through and there's all these envelopes from good to go, which is our toll billing for our toll bridges around Seattle. And I see that I have all of these, but I knew that I had a card on file. So I was like, oh, these must just be statements. So I continue to like, I just put them in a pile. I don't open them. Because I'm like, they have my card on file. Well, then I eventually get a notice that's like from the Washington State Department of Justice. And it looks like police related in its address to me with this very official like stamp and everything. And so I open it and I'm like, what in the world is this? And it's like, it's not a bench warrant, but it's some like very official, like you're in big trouble. You have this huge outstanding bill for the state. And like, we are going to go to court if we don't hear from you within seven days. And I was like, what is this? And I look and it's a $5 toll that when I went across a bridge while I was pregnant and then my credit card on file, the number had changed and I had not gone in and changed it. So they had for months been sending me this $5 bill and now it was a $150 bill and I was about to go to court for it. So I called and I was like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. Actually, I just had a baby. So that's why I haven't paid it. So no big deal. I'll go ahead and send in the $5. And they were like, no, that's not how it works. They're like, you can send in the $150. And I was like, no, 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 but you don't understand. I just had a baby. And they were like, yeah, no, we do understand. And you still have 150. So I had to pay this $150, which in the grand scheme of things, not that big of a deal. But it was such a good lesson to just open the mail because I kind of was living in this like, I'm busy and no one's that important world. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, and I am really too cool for school and I'm going to pay for it now. And so that was a big lesson. So now I do open my mail on a much more regular basis. But I think that it's very easy to become dismissive of these things because life gets hectic and chaotic. And if you are what I call the family manager, as most moms are, oftentimes you throw things to the side thinking like, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And I love what you talked about, about the mental real estate, that these bills are like renting space in your head. And those are the things that like you jump out of bed at three in the morning, like, oh my gosh, that envelope that I opened three weeks ago and I never did anything about it. And so I love these ideas for systematizing and keeping things in order and just having like peace of mind about the whole thing. Yeah. To add to your story, I recently got a parking bill and I thought it had a street name in San Jose that I thought, I don't even know where that street is. And then I looked at the license plate of the vehicle that had been cited and it's a vehicle that I sold in May of 2016. And I thought, oh no, you know, I'm obsessive about especially sending in that release of liability form to the DMV when you sell a car. And I panicked for a second, but I went to my computer and I literally just, I hit what is it? Command spacebar to do a find on a Mac. Yeah. And I typed release of liability. And sure enough, you know, I had mailed it. I had taken a picture of the envelope the day I mailed it and I had scanned the form. So I had the copy of the form and the proof that I mailed it. And I thought, oh my gosh, patting myself on the back for being obsessive about, (laughs) you know, about keeping important things. And I just feel like the computers at this point are so good at helping you find, I mean, all I did was type in release of liability and it showed up. I still don't even know what folder it's in. And so now I have to, you know, send in that form and it's not complete yet. They haven't acknowledged it, but I'm assuming it's going to go fine. But I mean, thank goodness I have it, right? Because I don't remember the person's name that paid me cash for my car, you know, a year ago. So... Yeah, it's opposite sides of the spectrum. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Well, and I think that 
it's so hard to mentally keep track of things. So I love the idea of having things, just knowing that like, oh, this is where I keep all these things. So I don't have to think about it. But if I ever have to go to them, like they're here in these electronic files and I'm not digging through my wallet and then through file folders and then calling the bank. (laughs) Crying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about ways you work out of worked yourself out of debt, because this actually lines up with the conversation that I had at my mastermind meeting that I mentioned. And the person talking to us there was talking about how he worked himself out of debt and how he now guides people through financial planning. And I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. But I think that anyone who is facing that burden is oftentimes very overwhelmed and very ashamed and very terrified. And so what is that? I know it can look like a million different things, but talk a little bit about how you recommend people start making steps to get themselves out of debt. And I don't mean like pay off their mortgage debt. I mean like debt that's really like holding you back in life. Yeah. There's nothing magical about paying off debt. There's not a magic system in the beginning it's not going to feel good. Why? Because you're going from being an overspender to being an underspender. So you're going from spending more money that's coming in, more money than is coming in to spending less. And so it's a major hit to your cash flow and therefore a major hit to your experience in, in life, right? A lot of the folks that I've worked with have moved. Like they find that they need to downsize the two things the Americans spend the most money on and where you can make the biggest hit in terms of your financial health is where you live or how much you pay for where you live and your transportation, typically your car. I mean, I see people out there, nothing in their bank accounts, credit card debt, you know, that they live with, maybe it's a small amount, but they have a $40,000 car with a $35,000 loan. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? You should have a $5,000 car, right? right? Because you're just spinning plates. So how do you start paying off debt is, first of all, it's up to you, but like how serious do you want to get? I've seen people pay, you know, $20,000 a credit card debt off at $300 a month. And I've seen them lock stock and barrel it and pay it off at $1,500 a month. And how fast you get there is how fast you get the needle above zero too. So just to be straight, I'm just going to be shameless. I'll tell you when I got to financial rock bottom, I was farther south than a lot of people. I was literally a couple weeks from this is the place where I live and I'm not going to be able to make the mortgage payment and I don't have a plan B and I can't buy food. It was a big deal. And I will never forget how the world felt like it was closing in on me. And the thing that really made the difference was for me deciding that I was going to do whatever the heck it took to get out of this situation. I was like, I have been hiding and I have been ashamed and no more. And I started making phone calls. I told my mom, I told the bank, I told the credit card companies, I told my employer, which was my father at the time. You know, it was like, this is what's happening. And this is why I've been so weird. (laughs) And I had to walk away from the credit card debt for a while. I had to just stop paying because for me, it was the choice of live or pay the credit card debts. I didn't have a choice. And what happens if you do that is I did not do a bankruptcy. I can't teach about bankruptcy. I didn't do it. And I don't know much about it. It's a brutal process, but it's good for some people. You know, I didn't have school debt, tuition debt. I didn't have tax debt. So those are the things you can't walk away from. So what happens when you walk away from credit card debt is they know what you're doing. They know you're taking stock. They know that you are going to change your circumstances or not. They call you and they harass you and they give you a hard time. And then finally they stop, but they come back 
24 months later, 24 to 36 months later. And they're like, guess what? <laughs> We're still here and you <laughs> still owe us money. Right. <laughs> but what had happened in that time is I had really stopped living outside of my means, but also improved my income situation. So I was able to negotiate with integrity on that debt. I did not pay the full debt. I didn't pay pennies on the dollar. I think I paid 50 cents or 60 cents on the dollar to clean that debt up. And then I worked with a credit repair agency to, I know I have like 760 credit score now. And it nice. took several years. But the fact is, credit is all about recency. And it's all about what you've done, like I said, recently. So I don't have any outstanding debts recently. And those bad marks on my credit are all gone now. I also did what's called a deed in lieu of foreclosure. So I had a foreclosure. I had to get rid of that property. I tried to work it out with the credit union. I said, hey, look it, I paid $400,000 for this condo. It was a one bedroom condo. I paid $400,000 for it in San Jose. Yeah, crazy. And within in seven months, it was worth one ninety, and, oh, and so I had four hundred thousand dollars of debt. Oh, it was brutal. I said to them, "Look, I'm at the beginning of my life. I'm not under some moral code going to keep paying on two hundred thousand dollars of unjustified debt. We got to talk." And some of you listening are going to have a reaction to that. And just bear with me for a second, because money is just business. And yes, you have an obligation to pay the debts that you take on. However, look at it like this. It's business. If the owner of the bank made a promise to you to pay you money and it came down to either pay you or the bank is going to go out of business, what do you think the owner of the bank would do? I promise you the owner of the bank would default on a debt to you if it meant either pay you or the bank goes out of business. Business is about survival of the business and people, banks have foreclosure percentages worked into their mortgage prices when they make them. And I in no way recommend that people walk away from a loan easily, but I didn't have a choice. You know, I see people who do what I did. I mean, not so much anymore, right? We're kind of out of the housing crisis. Right. But people whose marriages failed because one person wouldn't let the credit score go. No, my credit score is my word. It's my honor. It's my integrity. No, it's just your damn credit score. That's it. Right. The only reason you need a credit score is to borrow more money. And if you're not going to borrow money in the near term future, your financial health is more important. Like FICO credit score agencies are not going to pay your retirement, honey. Right. <laughs> so that's what I literally had to clear the decks. I put myself on a $5 a day food budget. I did not buy I knew all the places in San Jose to get free coffee. I had an employer that offered <laughs> free coffee. I drank water. Other people bought me drinks. Like I was on a mission and it felt really tight for six or nine months. And then my income started to improve. Right? Like your intentions start to make a difference. I started to ask for more money, negotiate, gain better skills and get better at what I was doing, get more clients. And things started to build. And sooner it started to snowball. And before I knew it, I really had transformed from being someone who every time I logged into my bank accounts, there was less money than I thought there was going to be. Like I thought there was a thousand and there's really only 600. I'm like, oh, that hurts. <laughs> or it's worse when you think there's a hundred and there's negative a hundred. Right. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, I think there's 10,000. No, there's 13,000. Look at that. And it's nice. like, I have more money than I think there is. It's like, and I'll never forget being the other way, but I'm grateful for this transformation. <laughs> yeah. Two things I want to touch on. So when you talk about people's opinions of foreclosure and short sales and those kinds of things, I think that you're right. People are quick to judge those kinds of situations. 
But I also would encourage people to, you know, in addition to the way you presented it, which I think was really a great way to help people understand, I think in addition to that, we need to consider that no one quickly or easily decides like, oh, I'm just going to foreclose. Like that would be the easy out. Very similarly to like when people go through divorce and it's easy to be on the outside and be like, wow, I guess they're just giving up. But you know what? Everyone who I know who has gone through a separation or divorce have like worked their butts off to get to the point that they finally decided to separate or divorce. And it was extremely painful. It was extremely trying. It was like one of the most difficult things in their life. And so to stand on the outside and be judgmental of those kinds of situations, I think like it doesn't do anything for the human spirit. And I think it doesn't do us any favors as women to be judging other women in those kinds of situations because you don't know till you're there. And I don't think those decisions are ever made lightly. So I appreciate what you said about that because I think that we do need to consider people's circumstances. I've known people who foreclosed in Seattle and they were not people who were trying to get like an easy buck at all. They were people who were like terrified and desperate. And so that's just how it works. Yeah. It feels crappy. Yeah. And I mean, (laughs) those things are all a huge blow to the ego when you make those kinds of life choices that you, where you say like, this is how I have to get myself out of this. And it's oftentimes somewhat public, like your friends probably knew what you were going through. And so in and of itself, like that's punishment enough. You don't need people being all judgy on top of it. (laughs) Well, and I think the more like when I coach people on money, I have a whole module that I teach on money is just business. Like it's not moralistic. You painted that on there. Money doesn't, doesn't have any innate qualities. And ultimately, it's best governed by the principles of business. Right, right. The other thing I wanted to touch on was when you were talking about the timelines for paying off and that some people would do like, you know, $300 a month for a couple of years versus $1,500 a month for a shorter amount of time. The guy who was presenting to us over the weekend at our group talked about was when he was trying to eliminate debt. And he talked about like him and his wife were both driving like $30,000 cars. This is 10 years ago, driving $30,000 cars. And I mean, think like with almost full loans for them. And they said that not only did they like sell their cars and get like $2,000 cars that they could just commute with, but he was like, we sold all of our furniture. He's like, we literally had a mattress on the floor in our bedroom because he said it was like addicting. And you kind of alluded to this too. It's like a power play to start seeing that money coming back. So we said it became this like addictive game. Like what else can we sell to do this as fast as possible? And so they became like competitive with the whole thing. It was super funny to listen to them talk. But I think that and I can hear a little bit of that in what you're saying too, where you're like, I'm just going to drink water and find the free coffee. You know, like I would just be going to Trader Joe's five times a day for the free little tiny cups of coffee. (laughs) Because I think that it does become really validating and really rewarding once you get a little little bit momentum behind you. It's just the start. It's very much like joining a gym. Like it's just the getting starting piece. And then once you get started, you're like, oh, like now I can exhale a little bit and just keep going. Yeah. I tell people I created it as a game. Like you can create that as confining and painful and suffer through it. And those people don't pay off debt very fast. I created it like a game. I let it get super competitive, like yeah, yeah, competitive for myself. And it sounds like, you know, this person who spoke to you did the same thing. You could hear there's joy in it, not suffering. Right. right. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. He was saying that, and his wife was like, seriously, we really have to do this. But he said at one point he took like a super part-time job outside of his normal 40-hour work week delivering pizzas because he was again like, this is how I can make a little bit more. Like he couldn't stop himself once he got started on finding ways to bring in more money and essentially like find money in sources he had never considered. So yeah, I didn't buy clothes for like two years. 
Nice. I mean, maybe friends gave me some or maybe bought a few pieces, a consignment of clothing stores, but it was like the closet was getting very sparse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure when you got out of that, did you, because that probably really impacted, you know, when you go through a period like that of two years, it gives you long-term perspective on money for sure, but it probably also like continues to hold you back or kind of keep the reins in when it comes to spending money. Like you probably, when you go shopping now, are still more conservative than you otherwise would have been had you not gone through that experience. Not only that, but I truly experience gratitude for the things that I have. And I feel a lot of people say, oh, I took that for granted. No, I don't take anything for granted. I mean, I look around, I mean, just very simply the desk and set the computer setup and the audio setup I'm speaking to you from. Like I have things that look nice. My desk is classy. It has art on it. And it's like, oh my God, I can't even believe this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I, I'm grateful for that. I mean, they say poverty is character building. I think so. <laughs> yeah. My last car I drove for 13 years, like just wait, it was a Honda Civic. And I was like, this car will never die. I mean, Hondas have a track record, like yeah. no other car. But my dream was to get a car with seat warmers when it finally died. And every time <laughs> I would take it in, I'd go for an oil change and I'd be like, please say there's something else wrong. And they're like, no, it's good. I was like, oh my God. I'm so when I finally got the car with the seat warmers, like I to this day, and it's been four years, every single time I turn on my seat warmers, I'm like, oh, I am so lucky. <laughs> I have seat warmers. Yeah. Immediate gratification does not breed gratitude. Right. right. It's a big deal. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you wanna worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you gotta check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 50 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat 
chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. So tell us what you see in women who are financially successful. I know that you see some common traits in women who are financially successful. And I would love to hear what those are. Yeah. So at the very basic, obviously they spend less than they make. I mean, there's just no getting around that. They're aware of what's happening in their financial ecosystem. And here's the thing, their savings is not sitting in cash. And this is really the big, like behind the scenes evildoer right now. We had a big research study from BlackRock, huge investor company that came out last year that said more at the same time, more and more women are confident in their financial future. And yet those same women, 70% of them said that their entire savings is in cash. Mm -hmm. So what that tells me is, okay, you might feel more confident, but it's not actually justified because sitting in cash is always a fear play. And, you know, for those of you who aren't necessarily in debt or for those of you who do have savings, you know what I mean. Putting your money in the stock market, if you don't have advice or a good advisor, can be scary, but yet you have to find a way to do it. Really, those dollars are not working for you. You have no chance of earning compound returns. In fact, as you know, if your money is sitting in cash, you're losing money because of the phenomenon of inflation over time. And so that really is my big mission is to educate women about the stock market in simple ways to show people over and over again that if you expect the stock market to behave like we know the stock market does, that it can and should be the greatest producer of wealth for you over your lifetime. Oh, I like that. So, oh my gosh. The stock market is terrifying to me. So I am like exactly the person you're talking about. I mean, I have retirement, but aside from that, my savings in cash. And some of that is because I don't know how to approach the stock market. The other piece of that, which I'm sure is something that you see really commonly, is that it's a fear base that I want immediate access if life goes crazy. Like if something goes sideways, I want to know that I can get it today. Do you have some stock market tips for us? So I do. So first, let's answer the first question about how much money do you need to get access to? Like some people call it emergency savings. I don't like to use the word emergency around money. I think language is important. So I call it a curveball account. I've heard it called a confidence account. I kind of like that. But you do need cash. 
And for some people, that cash can be in the form of a credit card limit. If you have savings for lumpy spending, by the way, about 60% of our spending occurs in lumps. And if you aren't saving for those lumps, you're setting yourself up for trouble. So that's like mm-hmm. the holidays, you know, if you celebrate right. Christmas or I don't know how much you spend on Hanukkah or family vacations, your next car, you should plan to pay cash for your next car. Don't take another car loan, but you should be saving for these things. So I have an account that I call all things auto and I put, I think five or $600 a month in that account. And anytime I go to the mechanic, I pay from that account. And then I plan to pay for my next vehicle with that account. So I don't now worry. I don't have auto emergencies. It's like your roof. If you own a house needing a new roof or needing new plumbing, that's not an emergency. You knew that was going to happen. You just didn't know when. It's only an emergency because you didn't save money for it. So that said, you do need to allocate for lumpy spending. And then if you're single, you probably should have about six months of your monthly expenses saved up in a savings account. And if you're married and have two incomes, they say probably about three months of expenses. And the idea is you're probably not going to lose both of your jobs at the same time. Right. So outside that, what we know about the stock market. And first of all, I'll say as a financial advisor, I own a registered investment advisory. As such, the federal government says, hey, anything you say can be interpreted as advice. So you need to be really careful what you say. So I will (laughs) say, do not take anything I say today as customized investment advice. I don't know you. I haven't considered your timeline. You're not my client like that. So I'll just talk about big picture. What do I know about the stock market? Thank you for that distinction. That was good to know. (laughs) Yeah. And obviously not just to you who's interviewing me, but to the folks who are listening. Don't go buy something because I said something today and then blame (laughs) me for it. It's not my fault. So first of all, most of us have this picture of investing like it should be some really smart guy, probably works on Wall Street, wearing a dark suit and a red tie, making picks for you. Buy this stock and it's going to go up. Only a lot of times the nightmare stories we all know about is we bought that stock and it went down our emotions lead us astray. So the stock market goes up and the stock market goes down. But when it goes down, we get to thinking it's not going to come back up. We panic and we sell. Tens of thousands of people do it, losing hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in investments. And that is exactly the wrong thing. However, you have to have enough diversification. You have to buy enough stocks to make sure that that investment isn't going to keep going down. Because ultimately, stock market investments are made up of companies the stocks and equities and securities, those are just fancy names for owning a company. If you own stock in a company, you have right to a share of their profits. As long as that company keeps earning profits, your stock keeps going up. That really is stock market investing. And so, as you know, lots of companies go out of business, but even more companies don't right? Because entrepreneurs are competitive and smart and really we do well over time. And really the human ingenuitive spirit is amazing. We've solved amazing problems. You can't live your life without these companies. And so there's like three or four decades of research that says that, hey, these guys on Wall Street who are promising you that they're going to buy stocks for you that go up over time are charging you huge fees and not doing what they say they'll do. And yet they're loath to admit that. And so there's this huge exodus from Wall Street kind of investing, which is also called active investing, to passive or index investing. And you've probably heard of index funds. Uh 
So for example, the S&P 500, I'm sure you've heard that term. The S&P 500 is an index and the funds that own the companies in that index are S&P 500 index fund. For example, on the 23-year period from 1992 to 2015, the S&P 500 index returned about 8.5% annualized return. So all you had to do to earn 8.5% per year was buy the S&P 500 index and not sell it. Do not go buy the S&P 500 index because I just said that, okay? (laughs) But most people don't even get that. Most people, instead of getting 8.5%, the Dalbar study of individual investors tells us that most people only earn about 5% per year. It's really tragic because that 3.5% over time really compounds into some pretty huge losses for people. And so I'm kind of on this educational mission to encourage people to consider an index style or passive style of investing. There's lots of ways you can do that. I do that for my clients inside my firm by building comprehensive portfolios for them. They own eight or nine indexes put together in a very smart sort of professional way. It's very technical. Once you start to build a portfolio of index funds, it matters which ones you buy and how much. And so there's providers that do that in different ways. But that gives you a high level kind of that gives you direct in terms of where you should go. Most financial advisors do active Wall Street investing. So if you have the opportunity, choose a digital investing platform or a financial advisor who's a fiduciary, by the way. That means they put your interests first. Did you know that some financial advisors don't have to do that, that they can sell you investments that aren't even in your interest? And that's something that's kind of on the table right now in Congress. But choose a fiduciary financial advisor so that their business is free of conflicts of interest who uses a passive investment style. So there isn't long enough in this conversation to do a full treatment of it. You can find a lot more resources on my website. And actually, after we talked, since we did get into stock market investing, I would love to make available to your listeners a free training that I did called Investing with Clarity, where I talk more about this. Oh, cool. That would be awesome. Do you work with people remotely or just locally? Yeah, I work with people remotely. I have clients in seven or eight states. Awesome. Okay. So we'll get to that in a minute. For everyone who's like, oh my gosh, I need to call Hillary right now. (laughs) We will get to that in just a minute because the next question I wanted to ask, which will feed right into working with you, is that how people go about selecting a financial advisor? And you just kind of gave some words, some terminology there that was helpful, that you're looking for a fiduciary, you're looking for someone who uses a passive investment style. Like, would you suggest that women seek out women? I loved what you said about you wanting to use women for different services. I totally agree. And I'm on the exact same page. So what are your thoughts about helping people find someone who is a good fit for them? Yeah. So one thing I will say, I mean, obviously I'm a woman. So if I say, yeah, you should hire a woman, then I just look self-interested, <laughs> you know, and I know that, but I will say this. If but you you're talking yourself, to women, our, our listeners are women, so <laughs> you're in good company. I will say this. And there's research that shows that both men and women still to this day rate the voices of men as being more credible than the voices of women. So they put people in a room, they play someone speaking, and they say, how credible is this person? And if you consider yourself a feminist, I just, or even a feminist light or a postmodern feminist, I just ask you to consider the preconceived notions that you yourself have. I think that there's a lot of reason for us as women to promote women. So I would love it if you'd choose to hire a woman 
situation. And I think that that point, it just makes my skin crawl when I think about that, that I might have a preconceived notion that the woman standing in front of me is less credible than the man. And I want to turn that on its ear. So, and I can do that by choosing to work with women. And the truth is, like, if I gave you a list of criteria to hire a financial advisor, the same thing. Obviously, I'm going to give you criteria that suits me. So I actually, when you said you were going to ask me this question, I asked this question in my private Facebook group, which is that goes with my podcast, Profit Boss Radio. And so this is one of my members said, and I love this. So I'll just read it to you. She said, from independent sources, I learned the three F's of finding an advisor. This is a starting place so you don't waste each other's time. One, fee. Do you pay them a fee or do you pay them to churn your account? In other words, do they charge you commissions, which they don't have to disclose to you to sell you products that you don't need? Okay. Number two is fiduciary. There are two standards of compliance in the financial industry, fiduciary and suitability. Advisors who carry a fiduciary responsibility are legally bound to do the very best for you to put you first in all their planning and product selection. A financial professional who has a suitability requirement is legally bound to provide products that are suitable, but which may not be the very best for you. Number three is philosophy. That sounds like an F. (laughs) Does your investment advisor believe in front-loaded class A mutual funds while you prefer index funds? When asking friends about advisors, I quickly learned I had to specify fee only. So that I thought was a great summary of a framework that you can use to hire a financial advisor and provided by an independent source, not me. (laughs) I love that. Thank you for asking that on another platform. That's very nice and thoughtful of you. That's super helpful too. I try to be trustworthy. So I'm going to make sure I'm going to put that list and I am taking like frantic notes if you can hear me typing as we're talking because I'm going to make sure that a lot of the we're talking about is referenced in the show notes. So anyone who wants to, who quickly, you know, didn't catch all of that, you can go over to shamelessmom.com and click on episode 110 and you'll get these notes. So that was really, really helpful. We have just a few minutes left and I want you to tell us a little bit about your podcast and then tell us about how people can work with you and then I'll ask two more questions. Thank you. I launched Profit Boss Radio really as my soul's mission to create a place where women can talk with women about money in a supportive way. I offer zero Wall Street speak. I define all terms that I use. I talk about money psychology. I talk about the technicals of investing. I do three kinds of episodes. First, I'll do episodes where I just teach just like you do. So a solo episode where I talk about things that are happening in current events so you can understand them or best practices about very various ways to manage your money. I do a kind of interview that I call everyday heroine. So I take ordinary women that I think have done remarkable things or survived remarkable tragic stories with money and turn things around and I interview them. They're often anonymous. I just use their first name so you don't even know who they are. But that way you know that there are other women going through this and you can hear how they carve their way out. And then three, I do interview experts. I've interviewed, for example, David Bach, Ali Brown, Barbara Stani, Amanda Stein. Steinberg, Kimra Luna, folks like that. So when we talk about their money psychology, I ask them about their first experiences with money and how they keep things up on the up and up. And so if you have room in your podcast lineup and you'd love to, I'd love to have you as a listener on Profit Boss Radio, you can find it the same way you find all your podcasts in your iTunes app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll link that in the show notes as well over on shamelessmom.com. Yeah. And I was actually looking through your show earlier today and 
so many good topics. And I appreciate that you said you break it down into like regular person language because I know that, <laughs> in fact, this morning, it's funny that you mentioned that because this morning, just this morning, I was doing a some paperwork to make a change in how money is transferred into my son's college fund. And my sister-in-law, who is one of our financial advisors, because my husband and I have separate financial advisors because we're weird. And so because we both are like emotionally connected to people who are advisors before we got married. So oh, yeah, I was sending this off. And I like could only fill out half the form, of course. And I was sent it off. I was like, this is what I can complete. I don't understand the rest of this language. Tell me what to do. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that if you have a podcast about financial planning, that it's important that I mean, unless you're only talking to financial professionals, we all appreciate that you speak regular money language. I'm going to tell you something. Even most financial professionals have no idea what those words mean. I promise (laughs) you that may be hard for you to believe, but just trust me. They have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) That's funny. So go ahead and tell us how you want women to be more shameless with money, Mm. which sounds like we should just go and be frivolous. (laughs) (laughs) No, honey, that ain't it. (laughs) So the first thing is really, you know, I told you my financial story. I told you about walking away from a mortgage. I told you about reaching financial rock bottom. I told you about my walk of shame. And it was not easy for me to come clean about that story. I was very hesitant at first. And I'll tell you, it has no hold on me anymore. And that's freedom. So in shame, comes shamelessness and then total freedom. And I want that kind of shamelessness for you. I create a space, a dialogue about money where there's no judgments. Like no matter where you are, I've been there or I know someone who has. And so really, I think shamelessness gives you access to something new. And if you are a place where you feel as dark and murky and you have to hide, then I just invite you to come out into the light, girl and be shameless with us. I love it. Thank you so much. And thank you for, I'm sure that there are people listening right now that are like so delighted to have permission to come out of the dark. (laughs) So tell us how people can find you and how people can work with you. You bet. So you can find me at hillaryhendershot.com. That's my homepage. Hillary has one L and Hendershot has two T's. It's just phonetic. And obviously you're going to link to yes. it in the show yes. notes. I am going to, I don't have the web address for my investing with freedom audio training or video training right now. We'll make sure you have a link to it right on my homepage. You will find a really incredible guide called mind over money. And in that guide, you can read all about the money operating systems that are most common that I talk talked about in my TEDx talk. And then there are worksheets and cheat sheets to help you figure out what your own systems and habits are with money. So you might opt in there. I do capture your email and then I send incredibly valuable, if I don't say so myself, (laughs) email every week where I do my commentary on the financial news. And believe me, I rip some articles to shreds because there's so much nonsense out there. And you should know what's truth and what's lies. And then the nonsense is only growing right now. (laughs) It's not getting better. (laughs) And you know, and I'm straight up, I'm really straight up. And I get a lot of great feedback on the newsletter. And if you are potentially hire a financial advisor, you should just reach out for a first chat. Just email me at info at hillaryhendershot.com. It's a no obligation phone call. We'll just figure out what's going on. I promise to be very honest if I might be the right person to fit the bill or not. And later this year, you know, I'll be doing a live event here in San Jose. So if you're wanting to make a breakthrough, a change, a transformation in your money life, get connected on the podcast and then come to the event. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Do you know when the event is? 
the fall. Okay. <laughs> so people can get a time frame if they're interested, they can start to kind of get it on the radar. So I love that. Well, Hillary, thank you so much for spending time with us today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I love that you brought a lot of wisdom and education, but you also kind of took away some of the scariness of money, which I know it can be a daunting topic for people. So I appreciate that you come into it with some humor and some personality and also some vulnerability, which I think is just really, really important. So thank you for spending time with us. And I hope you'll come back again sometime soon. Yeah, thanks for giving me this space. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, you can find all the links mentioned in our show notes over at shamelessmom.com and click on episode 110. And if this episode was helpful, do please share it out. You can get our link over at shamelessmom.com, click on the episode, get a link to the episode, and then you can share it out via social media channels, via email with people who you know might need to have some of these conversations about money. They're not always comfortable conversations, but they are very necessary conversations. So don't shy away from taking some bold steps when it comes to protecting yourself and arming yourself with information about how to be financially stable, financially secure. If this is your first time joining us in the Shameless Mom Academy, know that we do release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So we'll be back again in just a few days with another episode. You can find all past episodes over at shamelessmom.com. You can also subscribe by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will drop you into iTunes where there's a little button where you can subscribe to get all of our episodes as soon as they are released. While you're there, you can also leave a review. So click the little button that says write a review, leave a five-star review, tell us what you loved about today's show, giving Hillary and I some feedback. It's always so helpful and so appreciated. And lastly, come hang out with me on social media. I love hearing from you all on Instagram and Facebook over at the Shameless Mom Academy for both of those pages. That's where you can find me. And I always love connecting with listeners and hearing what you love about the show and being able to connect with you and really feel like I'm getting to know my listeners via social media. It's really one of the big, huge perks of being the host of this show. So thank you for spending time with me today, for spending time in the Shameless Mom Academy. I always appreciate you being here with me and today with Hillary as well. And remember, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.